You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Chances are you've paid special attention to making sure your clients feel welcomed and at ease from the moment they walk into your practice's space. Make sure you don't overlook one very important step, their check-in experience. This episode is sponsored by The Receptionist for iPad. It's the highest rated digital check-in software for therapy offices and behavioral health clinics used by thousands of practitioners across the country. With a visitor management system like the receptionist for iPad, your clients won't be left wondering if you know they've arrived, as the software sends an immediate notification to the therapist when a client checks in, and can even ask if any patient information has changed and needs to be updated since their last visit. The receptionist for iPad is a simple, inexpensive way to follow your clients to discreetly check in, to notify providers of a patient's arrival, and to ensure your entire front lobby experience is stress-free. Sign up today for a free 14-day trial of The Receptionist for iPad by going to thereceptionist.com slash private practice. And when you do, you'll also receive a $25 Amazon gift card. Hey, everyone. You are listening to a new episode of the All Things Private Practice podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Casal, joined by friend and colleague and badass therapy owner, your badass therapy practice, Laura Long, LMFT in South Carolina. We're going to talk about just do the fucking thing <laughs> and working through impulse momentum. And uh, Laura, I'm really happy to have you on. I know our schedules are just busy as hell and it's really just good to connect. Yeah, me too. Thank you so much for having me, Patrick. And this is really cool just to be able to like come full circle because I feel like we talked, maybe it was like a year ago and you were just getting started or had just started. And so we just connected. So this is really great just to like see how far you've come in such a short period of time. Thanks. Yeah. And it kind of ties into what we're going to talk about is just like, I think you use the term impulse momentum. And I use the word like imperfect action of just like putting the idea out there and just doing it and working through that fearfulness, that perfectionism, that imposter syndrome. So you were just talking about that with your retreat that you and Ernesto just had in Miami. Tell me about like how that came about for you. Yeah, that was a really cool thing. And I'm actually going to be talking about it uh, just to plug his summit in Nashville in May and not the typical psychotherapist summit. Um, so Ernesto is a, a close friend of mine and has been quite a while. I just, I always love what he's doing out in the world and the way he impacts therapists. So we've always had a, a friendship and I really respect him as, as a colleague. And he just posted, you know, how Ernesto does. Anyone watching this podcast probably knows Ernesto. And he posted on Facebook that he was going to be in Miami at the end of January and basically open invitation to whoever wants to join him. And I thought to myself, well, shit, I'd love to be in Miami in the dead of winter. That sounds pretty stellar to me. So I just sent him a text that basically said, hey, let's, what do you think about doing something? I don't know. We could put something informal together. And his response was just, yeah, let's do it. So, uh, yeah, within 24 hours, we had an Airbnb. I think within another 24 hours, he had built a landing page. And I think within four days, it sold out, which is just crazy. Um, That's incredible. And that wouldn't have yeah. happened if you hadn't texted him with that idea, right? And 
just putting yourself out there. Not that you don't know him and that you don't have a close relationship, but just the idea of like, Hey, let's do this thing. Right. And like, let's see what happens with it. Yeah. You know, we had never done anything like that before. I I just happened to have a cell number in my phone. Um, (laughs) But I think what's, what's the most amazing thing about that whole story is it's less about that. I texted him. It's, it's also pretty awesome by the way that he just, his response back was like, yeah, sure. Let's do it. Uh, but I think the most sounds like a very Ernesto response back. I know. Of like, yeah. Those of you who are into uh, the Enneagram, me and him haven't talked about this, but I see him as like a textbook seven, where he's just like lots of times flying by the seat of his pants, but nine times out of ten he lands on his feet, which is amazing. But he's just there for the party, there to make sure everyone has a good time, and they always do. So I think the most amazing thing about the whole story, though is while we were there, and I was telling you this before we hit record, Ernesto and I never actually uh, took the time. Like we didn't have the time. It all just was a whirlwind. I think we planned it in about three weeks. We didn't have the time to sit down and go through each and every participant, what their goals were and what their stuck points were, what they were hoping to achieve. And it was just so crazy that throughout the entire weekend, we, we just kept saying how aligned the whole, like everything was just very synchronous, how he would say something to an individual and then they would come to me maybe the next day. And my message to them would be either exactly what Ernesto was saying or just like a perfect segue. And um, so, yeah, that, that level of just like connection, um, what was, it was transformational. So we ended up scheduling another one for September. But so I think like going back and thinking through his post on Facebook and my text to him, it, it seemed so minute. But when you when you play everything that happened, none of that would have taken place had we both not just had that initial impulse to say, yeah, let's try it out. What's the worst that can happen, right? Like no one comes, we're out and right. maybe, or, you know, but we didn't have time to think about that. We didn't allow ourselves to even think about what if this doesn't work. It was, yeah, sure, let's do it. Let's figure it out. I love that because like, if you had the time to think about it, like you said, before we hit record, right. You're thinking about where to have it, when to have it, who to invite, how much to charge, um, how to market it, all the things that prevent us from kind of moving forward with our ideas. And that happens to so many entrepreneurs, especially therapists, right. Who don't like necessarily know what else they can do with their skill sets. And I think that we prevent ourselves a lot of the time when that perfectionism takes over and you're just like, I can't, I get wrapped up in the details. I can't figure this out. And now it's never going to happen. It's just an idea that's never going to become a reality. 100%. I think that a lot of therapists get, especially those who are embarking on the private practice journey, they get really caught up in the end, whatever the end is for them. So typically it's having a full practice and uh, living a great life just like loving life every single day. Like to them, that's the end. The way I see it is you never actually arrive. So don't try. You're never going to arrive because once you get to the place where you thought six months ago or a year ago, that was the end, there's new information you've you've gleaned along the way. So even when you get to that place of maybe for you, it's a full practice and you're seeing 15, 20 clients a week. Oh, that's great. But by the time you actually get there, you have new goals that you've conjured up new ideas, new um, aspirations. So if we if we focus so much on arriving, as cliche as it sounds, we kind of forget the fun and the journey and our perfectionism gets the best of us. We start to worry about doing it the right way. Um, I want to make sure 
that I'm building my practice exactly how I need to build it so that I can arrive. But if we realize that this really isn't about getting to the end, there is no end, right? It's like the, this, this game will continue on for as long as we have our practices and as long as we're alive, we're just going to keep trying new stuff. But um, I think the perfectionism comes from thinking that if we get to this end goal, then we can be happy, then we can relax. That's really well said. You're, you're spot on. And I think so many people just want to leave their agency jobs initially, right? It's like, I just want to get the fuck out of here. I want to mm -hmm. work for myself. Like you said, a full practice, that would be great. I don't even know how I can get there. I don't think it can happen. And then you arrive there and you're like, huh, okay, this is satisfying, but maybe I am no longer as interested in this. Maybe I want to do something different. Maybe I'm realizing like, I really enjoy A, B, and C. And I think that being an entrepreneur is an ev a constantly evolving process. Mm -hmm. Like it's constantly like, oh, this is fun. This is enjoyable. This is creative. I mean, I really like this. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, but I have this other idea now because I'm in the thick of it. Right. And like idea after idea starts to formulate the more you open up that space and that lens of saying like, wow, there are a lot of possibilities here. I certainly didn't see myself sitting here talking to you when I started my private practice, I just wanted to get the hell out of my job. Like that was all I wanted in my life. And I was like, fucking finally, like I am a private practice owner. I have made it. I am at the pinnacle. That's all I ever wanted to do. I just wanted to be a private practice for myself. I thought I was going to have to be like old and wise, whatever that means. <laughs> and, you know, things happen and all of a sudden you're kind of like pushed or I was kind of pushed into this realm. And I could have never in a million years imagined that I'd be here either. You know, it's so if I, if I was, if I got to whatever I thought was the end, meaning having a full private practice and then was just like, oh yeah, that's it. I made it. Uh, I would have never taken other chances in the future that inevitably led to me feeling much more fulfilled, but I had to go through all of that first and I'm glad for it. I'm happy I did all that. And that's not to minimize anyone who really just wants, you know, that you want a full private practice. That's totally fine. Um, I think the point I'm trying to make, though, is that that's not the end for anybody. It's not just, okay, you've arrived and now you can just kind of rest on your laurels and you're fine. It, it never actually ends up that way because you get new information along the way. You make new relationships. You will learn more about yourself as an entrepreneur. And if we get so wrapped up in doing it the right way and planning, then we never actually take the first step, as you called it, imperfect action. So for me, this concept of impulse momentum uh, and actually I was telling you, it comes from physics, which is really hysterical because I'm not the brightest crown in the box and comes to a lot of things. So if you look up impulse momentum, you're going to get all kinds of like weird um, scientific -y algorithms. And it's like, oh man, she's smart. No, I literally just mean impulsivity, but it's like intentional impulsivity. So it causes momentum. I was like, yeah, impulse momentum. This idea is that it is important for us to do some amount of of research or asking questions, learning as much as we, as we feel like we need to know to take a step. But oftentimes we, our anxiety leads us to believe that we have to know everything before we can take a step. And that's where we make a lot of mistakes because we can't possibly know everything. And it's through the doing that we, that we learn more about ourselves and actually have fun doing it. It's not in the research. So um, when I talk about being impulsive, intentional impulsivity people often confuse that with being thoughtless or reckless and just you know flipping a coin and making a decision that's not actually what i'm talking about i'm talking about taking that very first step yeah 
Absolutely. And I think that recklessness and impulsivity get uh, labeled incorrectly a lot of the time. When I had my gambling addiction, that was reckless and impulsive. That was like, I'm not thinking through the consequences here of what I'm about to do. I think when we're thinking about impulse um, momentum or imperfect action, whatever the hell we want to call it, because they're very similar in nature, it's just like embracing that fear and stepping into the unknown. And I think that's how we grow. And I also think that we need to start thinking about fear as a gas pedal instead of a brake. Because anytime I've stepped into that place, second guess myself, ask myself, can this be successful? Is anyone going to buy it? Is anyone going to think it's good? I land on my feet almost every single time. And the process is always the process. So it feels the same way, whether it's the podcast, whether it's coaching, whether it's the retreat. I'm like, what? I'm creating it as I go, right? Like I said to you before, like kind of building the plane as you fly it. Like that's always my analogy of like half the time and 90, maybe 90% of the time, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing until I get there. And like, that is my process. And I think that's a process for a lot of successful entrepreneurs. I actually was listening to a podcast not too long ago and I can't remember his name. It was Clint something. He's some Navy SEAL. And he was talking about this exact idea of fear and how, you know, Navy SEALs are, are trained for pretty much any, any dangerous situation and how to handle it. So when you're jumping out of a plane at 40,000 feet, you should have some amount of fear in what you're about to do because you recognize the significance of the action you're about to take. The fear doesn't stop you. You recognize that you have some fear of the fact that what if my parachute doesn't go off or doesn't open, right? But you jump anyway because you're trained for this. You've prepared for this. Uh, and so you jump. I feel like building any business, whether it's a private practice or a coaching business like what you've done or any other business, it takes some level of preparing and doing some research. But at some point, you've got to jump and you'll feel the fear, but the fear doesn't mean you don't do it. So that's where I sort of d define fear differently from being afraid. I think when we're afraid, it's very disempowering. Feeling afraid means that I cower, I get smaller. I don't take action. Feeling fear is just a natural, it's a data point. It's recognizing that what I'm about to embark on is important to me. It's significant. It doesn't mean I don't do it. I love that. That's so well said. You're right. Because I think we have to be a little fearful, a little anxious even of what am I about to kind of embark upon? And I've never done this before, or it's new to me, or, you know, I think we have a fear of being seen in some ways too. And how that's going to be received. But I think you're so right about just doing it, right? Like I've trained for this, I've put in the work and there's so many people out there that have such good ideas that will never put them into action because they are afraid and they shrink back and they convince themselves, not me, I can't do that thing. And mm -hmm. that is a really unfortunate thing. I think about the movie Bronx Tale all the time where someone says like the saddest thing in the world is wasted talent. And I think when we're not able to put our ideas out into the world and pursue our passions, it reflects professionally and personally too. Mm -hmm. And we often get hung up in making a, a wrong choice or any mistake or even like a, a, a huge mistake. You know, what if I do this thing and I embark on this journey, I start private practice and I pick the wrong niche, for example, you know, what, what would that say about my reputation, in the community, or if I make this like huge mistake, how will I ever come back from that? And I think that even the fear of making a mistake it takes away from the fun of the entire journey because you are going to make mistakes. Um, 
the the pivots that we make along the way are what make it fun. I'm certain that you, Patrick, have not gone from where you started to where you are now, having not made any mistakes. You probably have. You've pivoted along the way. You maybe I don't I don't even know. Maybe you wrote an email and you were like, oh, that didn't land well. You just learn from it and move on. And who gives a shit, right? Because people still read what you put out. People still want to consume the content that you create, but you wouldn't have touched those people's lives if you, out of your own fear of making a mistake, didn't write that email. Yep. hundred percent. And I, you know, I talk about mistakes all the time. I think it's important to own them and just normalize them, um, to say we're human beings. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to make, we're going to quote unquote fail in a way at times, especially when we do things that are new or out of our comfort zones. And I've made plenty of fucking mistakes over the last two years. One includes hiring a VA in Ireland simply because she was in Ireland and had no experience in what I needed. That sucked. Uh, most recently, I overpaid my group practice clinician $75,000. I own that on Facebook and that was painful. Today, I sent an email to my entire mailing list about my Ireland retreat that meant to go to 11 people and now they're all emailing me. I didn't sign up for this. Like, what is this email? Like, I'm not coming to Ireland. I wish I could. I'm like, oh shit. Like, this is actually unintentional, really good marketing, by the way, because they're all emailing me. I didn't know this was happening. Keep me posted about the next one. Um, but you're right. Mistakes happen. And as entrepreneurs, there's an ebb and flow. Like we've got to ride the roller coaster, so to speak, right? Like I'm sure there have been times in your practice and your coaching and, and everything along the way, even speaking engagements where you've been fearful. Maybe you stumble over your words. Maybe you made a mistake, but you continue to pivot, evolve. And those mistakes, those bumps along the way are good learning experiences to laugh at down the road or even say like, I'll never do that again, right? Like I'll never overpay my clinicians that much money again. So that's something I'll, I'll always, you know, have in the back of my mind. But since when did mistakes become such a terrifying thing? We've all made question. Them, but when it comes to launching a new business, opening a private practice, we feel like, okay, we just need to consume as much possible information as we can, get on everyone's email list, buy all of these courses, completely overwhelm ourselves with all of this information, much of it being contradictory information from different sources. And then we feel like we're somehow going to embark on this journey of private practice, never having made a mistake. Everything's going to go well all the time. In six months, we'll be full. And then we'll just like sit back drinking Mai Tais on the beach. Like, like I guess in theory, that sounds good, but like, why are we so terrified to make a mistake to begin with? And then we don't take that imperfect action. We don't build on that impulse momentum, all because we were afraid of making a mistake when we all do it all the time anyway. And half the time, none of us know what we're doing, right? We're just like pedaling along, doing the best that we can, and we learn from it. So I, I hope that that's encouraging for people because they're like, yeah, but what about, what if I screw up this thing? Okay, so you screw it up, then what? You know, it's like the Socratic yeah. questioning, then what happens, then what? Right. Exactly. And you're not going to die. Try to like really work on some catastrophizing too, right? Like what if worst case scenario happens, will I be okay? Yeah. The answer 99% of the time is absolutely yes. You might feel embarrassed. You might feel ashamed. You might feel like, oh, I got to bury my head in the sand for a minute, but you're going to rebound and you're going to learn and you're going to grow. I don't think Laura or I would be sitting here having this conversation, being well known in the coaching and private practice industry if we hadn't been vulnerable along the way and authentic and, and made these mistakes and owned them and also learned from them to incorporate into our own coaching, because that's what mine is about. It's like, 
I did these things. I'll help you not do these things. You know, they're going to happen regardless. And I just think it's so important. And I've been thinking about what you just said, like, where did we learn that it wasn't okay? And I think back to childhood, a lot of the time, like attachment, wounding, or trauma, we don't really talk about what it's like to fail or make mistakes. We kind of, a lot of the time are reprimanded or said like, why didn't you do better? Why didn't you study harder? Why couldn't you learn this quicker? And in reality, it's like, oh, it's okay that you got a D in math because that's just not your strong suit. And I think that we can internalize that a lot of that as we grow up and develop because it's like that voice in the back of your head, right? I think you've called it like bitchy Brenda bitchy in a Brenda. way. But like, she's so, she's right you know, there. she's right there. <laughs> right there. I have that same map, by the way, now that I'm seeing your thing. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just, I think we internalize that. And that voice is kind of amplified when we're feeling like we're not as competent or we're insecure or we are fraudulent or just luck into something. And it's really hard. I think you have to fight really hard to work through that. Otherwise, you're probably going to end up working for somebody else. Yep. 100%. Like, I'm, I was like, yep, everything you just said, I'm down to that. <laughs> <laughs> I saw your facial expression like, huh, I don't know what to say. And, um, you know, and I'm sure, you know, like when you started your coaching business, right? I imagine you were fearful. I imagine you were asking yourself, is anyone going to buy it? Is is this going to be something that gets consumed by hundreds, if not thousands of people? And I think if you don't, then there might be something off there because humility is also really important in a lot of this. Yeah. So when I started my coaching business, I remember very vividly saying to myself, this endeavor, whatever it ends up becoming, right? Because who could have ever predicted any of it? whatever it ends up being, it's going to take away time from my family, my child, uh, other things that I want to do, other hobbies, like it's going to take away from that. So if it's going to do that, it has to also be fun. I'm not going to do it if it's not fun. So throughout this whole six, seven year period, I've just thought to myself at any given moment, how can I make this more fun? Or I'm having a lot of fun. Let me just keep doing this. But keeping, keeping that like playful element has really been helpful. And I think for, for folks who are building something that they are relying on for their livelihoods, like a private practice, bringing in fun can be challenging because there's so much pressure. Oh my gosh, I have to make X number of dollars to cover my overhead or to pay my bills or to get groceries, et cetera. But when we don't bring back in any element of fun, we start to lose sight of why we're doing this in the first place. And we become so hyper-focused on just outcomes. I must see X number of clients a week, or else I'm not being successful, or else I'm a failure. And all that does is reinforce and bring into to the limelight more of this, like being afraid. What if it doesn't work? Okay, now I need to consume more information. Now I need to learn more. Oh my gosh, there's contradictory information out there. What am I going to do? <laughs> now I'm overwhelmed. But really, what if we just try to make this whole thing more fun? What yeah. if we just, what if we just tried something, just experiment with something, take small risks along the way, practice impulse movement or impulse momentum, um, imperfect action, try to, you know, take these little risks and you find, oh, that was actually pretty cool. I created this group. They look, people actually showed up to it. That's kind of fun. Like bring in more Absolutely. into what we're doing. And a simple way to do that, because Laura is so right for everyone listening. I think we lose so much sight over playfulness in our lives as we become adults. And things get so much more serious and we have more responsibility, obviously that's, that goes without saying, but you do have to incorporate some sort of joy or fun or playfulness because otherwise I feel like you're just recreating your corporate or agency job. 
And then all of a sudden you're in your own situation where you can't get out of it. And you're like, fuck, I'll go do anything else right now other than be a therapist or whatever the case may be. I've been, you know, I'm really passionate about teaching. And I know you are too, therapists, how to write content and copy that is really authentic. And I think when you can embrace that and give yourself permission to say like, this is who I am, this is how I practice. Let's eliminate all the therapist jargon. Let's eliminate all the things that normal human beings don't fucking say on a daily basis. <laughs> Let's incorporate like some music references, some TV show characters, like whatever the case may be, that takes you back to a place of like, oh, this is actually really energizing and enjoyable. And instead of just always feeling like I've got to meet the status quo, I've got to act a certain way. I've got to do a certain thing. You know, I think that we lose sight of that. Yeah. And I love what you just said. You're like, okay, we basically recreate these toxic soul sucking agency dynamics that we wanted so desperately to leave. It's almost like that is a familiar thing to us. Whereas if we bring in some element of playfulness or having fun with it, it's almost the antidote to fear, first of all, and also I think many of us became therapists because we enjoy the connection with other people. So like you were just pointing out with copywriting, for me, amazing copywriting is something that can, that connects to people, something that's uh, compelling. It's conversational, but at the end of the day, we're just creating that connection, that human connection that we love so much, which is why we became therapists. So I try to think of something like copywriting as a fun process for that reason. It's an opportunity for us to connect with people. Marketing, same exact thing. The best marketing is one that, uh, or, or strategies that connect people or where we feel connected. We were actually just talking about Ernesto and how amazing his supposed marketing strategy is when really it's just, you know, connecting. He's just like putting stuff out there and being vulnerable and it makes him relatable and a human. And I think if more therapists can have the courage to be that way on their websites, on their site profiles. Um, they'll find that they attract the very clients who really want to work with them, not just because they are trained in EMDR or EFT or play therapy or whatever the case is. It's because they actually connect to us as humans. And that's why we're in this field to begin with. It just comes full circle. Now I'm in the space where yeah, I saw yeah, that face. said it better like, yeah. myself. <laughs> 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 It's just one of those things I think that we are so, it's so ingrained in our culture too, especially as therapists, like we have to operate a certain way. We have to be robotic. We can't disclose. We can't be vulnerable. We can't be authentic. Like we just have to be sounding boards. And I think that's fucking bullshit. And I just want to encourage people to give yourselves permission to tap into your personalities and like use language that you use on a daily basis. If you want to curse, curse. I can't tell you how many people call, call my group practice because we say fuck. Like people call because they're like, you seem like real human beings. And I think that allows us to look at our schedule and say, oh, yes, I really like the people that I'm seeing today. They are really energizing for me. Instead of looking at it and being like, "Ugh, I dread going to work today because I loaded myself up with people that I don't really enjoy working with. And I think that can bring up a lot of shamefulness around helpers in general, because we're always conditioned to believe we have to help everyone. And that's just simply not true. It's not possible. I know you know that. I know we all, a lot of us know that, but I do think there's still that like shamefulness that comes up when we're like, ooh, is this ethical? Is this something I should be doing? Is you know, I just think a lot of that happens internally. And you're so right about marketing, copywriting, networking. Like we are in the business of building relationships, connecting, and our work is relational. So we just have to kind of put a different perspective on it in order to make this job enjoyable with such a high rate of burnout right now. Absolutely. Yeah. 
there's a lot of therapists right now who are just second guessing their their decision to even go into the field. And a part of me gets it for sure. Part of me truly gets it. And a part of me is really, really scared, <laughs> really scared that so many therapists have um, put so many expectations or put, placed some standard on themselves that they have to be a certain way all the time, that they can't make a mistake, that everything that they put out there has to be polished. And so because of that, they feel so much, it's not fear, it's that afraid, it's that disempowering, uh, if I make a mistake, what does that say about me? I'm a failure. I mean, I'm just picturing all of this pressure being placed on therapist's shoulders right now. And a lot of it um, is self-inflicted, especially when it comes to building a practice. They, they place so much pressure. And I don't know, maybe we place some of the blame on um, uh, unscrupulous coaches who, who say, if you don't do my exact system, or if you don't buy my thing, then you're going to fail. Um, you and I certainly don't do that, but I'm, I'm certain there are others who do. So all we do is just add to add to the fear, the hysteria that if you do it wrong or if you mess up along the way, then your practice is doomed and you're going to fail and you're going to have to go back to the soul sucking agency. But I just I want therapists to feel encouraged to experiment and to be playful and have fun with their practices, try new things. If you get an impulse to try something, whether it's I want to reach out to this person in my community who I've always looked up to, and I just want to see if they'll maybe get coffee with me or go, like, let's do a, a Zoom meeting. Why not just try it? What's the worst that can happen, right? They say no, they don't respond. Okay, on to the next one. But all too often, we don't make those, those impulsive yet thoughtful actions that could have really made this whole process, this whole journey a lot more fun. And if it's not fun, why are we fucking doing it? <laughs> There's a lot of like good conversation going on right now where we're both saying things that are pretty profound, I feel like, and just like, this is real, you know, people struggle with this all the time. And I've challenged therapists recently, like, I don't have a therapist group near me and I'm introverted. I said, make the fucking introverted therapist group of Dallas, like do these things because take that shot, you know, I'll tell a funny Ernesto story real quick. I met Ernesto for the first time in Colorado in 2020 when COVID had first happened. The only reason I reached out to Ernesto is because I was following him on Facebook and he was in Fishkill, New York, which is my hometown. And that was really bizarre to me, which is where his uncle lives. He wants to move there as a retirement. I don't know why. Um, and I texted him one day and I was like, hey man, I'm considering going out to like uh, Rocky Mountain National Park for a couple of days. And I was just curious if you wanted to go. And he, of course he was like, yeah, I'll go. And I don't it's think he expected me to- impulse momentum. And I didn't know him. I didn't have a coaching business. I didn't have anything. And I didn't expect him to say yes, because I didn't really know him. And <laughs> I don't think he expected me to actually book the flight because he was like, oh, shit, you actually are making the plans. I was like, yeah. And we spent five days out there hiking and just getting to know each other and eating food. And I don't think I ever would have done that if I couldn't work through that fear and insecurity of what happens if this doesn't work out or it goes poorly or he says no, or whatever the case may be. And I think about moments like that in my career right now, the coaching business, the podcast, the Facebook group, the retreats, like all of that has been an idea that turned into something through imperfect action. I held myself back for so fucking long with this coaching business because Allison, who is a good friend of mine, lives in Asheville. And why would anyone hire me in Asheville if Abundance Practice Building is in Asheville? You just have to work through your shit and just put it out to the world. And one more quick story. I know I'm ranting. When I started my private practice, 
I had three back to back to back no shows one night. I had no cancellation policy in place. I had no credit cards on file. And I just sat in my office like devastated. I was just convinced that this will never happen. This will never work. I'm never going to be successful as a private practice owner. I'm going to go back to my agency job. And I owned it. I sat with the discomfort. I made a policy. I got credit cards on file. I had everyone sign it. And that's how you pivot. That's how you deal with those speed bumps or those failures or those mistakes. And, you know, I just remember sitting there looking at the not your typical psychotherapist conference. I believe you were speaking in Anaheim. And I was like, damn, I'd love to be there and like be around these people, but I don't have anything similar in common with them or anything to offer. And we're both speaking at that this year. So I'm really fucking excited for that too. That's awesome. That was the conference where uh, I took the impulsive uh, or imperfect action and just got a glass of wine before my talk and just brought it on stage with me. That was fun. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, but that's stepping into who you are, right? And just being like, this is me. And I don't care that much about what people think about it. Yeah, totally. It was fun. I mean, it wasn't drunk or anything. It was just a fun time. Um, (laughs) So a few things came to mind as you were talking. Number one, this is your fucking podcast. So you can rant as long as you want and you don't have to apologize or even comment on it because people are listening to this because they want, genuinely want to hear what you have to say. And what you have to say is important and it matters. Um, Second of all, when you're talking about your story with Ernesto, I think you didn't even allow yourself time to get bogged down in the what if it doesn't work or what if he says no or what if I'm an idiot for even suggesting this. And so because of you just taking that imperfect action, you sent the text message, booked the flights, you guys had an amazing time together, right? It's the times when you did think through all of the reasons why something might not work your private practice, your group practice, starting a coaching business. Those are all the things that actually held you back is when you thought through it. So it's interesting when you talk about impulsivity and people compare it to being reckless like an addiction. Is it though? Because the times when you were impulsive in your business are actually times when you did something that really mattered and that touched people. Whereas when you spent the time actually thinking through a decision, and really reflecting on whether or not you were cut out to do it, those are the times where you took too long and you second-guessed yourself and you lived in this place of being afraid, this disempowering place. So you actually just painted like, you proved my point just here. So thank you. (laughs) Thank you for your rant. It helped. (laughs) (laughs) That's perfectly said again. And I hope everyone that's listening can really take this in because this is really important. And I think impulse and some anxiety and some humility go hand in hand. And I also think that impulse is powerful and it creates momentum. And without it, you're right. Like I can give you another example about the opposite where I looked at that, that audience in Anaheim and not your typical psychotherapy. I think it was like 2019 before COVID, mm-hmm. 2018. I don't even know anymore. Time doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> And I was going to buy the ticket. I emailed Ernesto, did not know him. And I was like, do you do payment plans? He's like, yes, I can do that. And then I convinced myself I shouldn't go. I shouldn't book the flight. I don't belong there. I overthought it and I never did it. And I think that we can all reflect back on periods of time in our lives. And a lot of therapists listening to this are probably like, I wish I would have quit my agency job sooner, but I convinced Mm -hmm. myself for so long that it would not work and that I had to be committed to this emotionally abusive relationship where I knew what I was going to get, but it wasn't as scary as taking that leap and, and taking that action. The golden handcuffs of, of soul-sucking agency work. They convince themselves that they have to stay for whatever reason. We 
we do, we have this tendency to talk ourselves out of things. And I'm sure anyone listening here, either it's something that's going on right now in your business, or you can think of a recent example of a time when that little impulse came to you. It's like, maybe I ought to sign up for that training or like, maybe I should look into that retreat or maybe I should buy this book or maybe I should connect with that therapist in town and you didn't do it. And you had a good reason in your mind. Oh, well, you know, it's too expensive or I don't have the time to devote to that. Or, you know, they, they're probably too busy for me. And every time you have talked yourself out of one of those impulses, I think of it as, um, or someone has, has talked to me about it as like following a ping. When you get that ping, it's almost like this tiny little voice that just really quickly is like, hey, maybe you should try this thing. Do this, do that, reach out to that person. But when you don't follow it, you're just depriving yourself of an opportunity that you could have grown, you could have evolved, and you're potentially depriving someone else of that connection too. So this isn't just about you. Yeah, so following a ping or impulse momentum, imperfect action, whatever you want to call it, it's all just about like paying attention to that, that inner dialogue and recognizing that there is a voice in there somewhere that's suggesting you try something new. And when you talk yourself out of it, you're leaving a lot on the table. Yeah. Another one of those moments where I'm like, huh, how do I respond to that? Um, so right. And I hope everyone listening can really take this in. And especially if you're holding yourself back or feeling fearful in general about what's next or what can I kind of create or accomplish. My Ireland retreat was just like, hey, who wants to go to Ireland and do a retreat? Oh, here are all these responses. Okay, I need to book the venue. Now I got to find caterers. Now I've got to find transportation. Oh, shit. What do we do about COVID? Um, can we book some tours that everyone would like? Like it all came together that way. So anyone listening to this that's coming in a couple of weeks, sorry. Um, <laughs> and Asheville, the one I created a couple of days ago, was the same thought process. I just got this spark of energy, like you said. And then all of a sudden I was like, okay, Asheville, these dates. Okay, I'm going to book this fucking expensive Airbnb. Now I have to fill it. Now I have to figure the rest out around it. And that may sound contradictory or counterintuitive for a lot of you, but that is the process. It's not let me have everything perfected and then I will release it to the world. It's more messy than that. And it's just like, let me do the thing asked backwards in a lot of people's minds and then watch it come together. And I think that's really be beautiful, empowering. And there's some fear there too, but I think that's okay. You followed your ping. That's right. The ping. Followed my ping. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's, yeah, look her a treat and then we'll figure it out along the way. But if you had spent the time researching exactly where in Ireland to go, exactly which excursions to take, what food, how many people, like if you had spent the time to research all of it and not release any information until you felt like you had it all done and mapped out, three years from now would go by and you'd be talking about that time you wanted to go to Ireland. Spot on. You're right. And that's so true for a lot of people. So, you know, again, hopefully this was useful for everyone, especially if you're in the entrepreneurial world or thinking about creating your own business, because, you know, we are here today. We speak at conferences, we have podcasts, we have coaching courses, like none of this happens without putting yourself out there and just following that ping or that energy or imperfect action or, you know, impulse momentum. So I hope everyone can take that in. And Laura, I really appreciate you being on and I, I love what you do, what I love what you offer. And this is a beautiful thing too, now that I'm talking everyone, Laura and I do a lot of similar stuff, but we have very different voices and we attract our own clients who are attracted to what we put out into the world. That is important for you to hear that because there can be more than one therapist in your area who practices the same way. There can be more than one coach in your area who does similar things. 
you're all going to attract your people based on how you move through the world. And I want you all to really embrace that. Um, Laura, just, yeah, in closing, just tell us where they can find more of you, your coaching, your pro your uh, programs, everything you've got going on and just anything else on your mind in general. Yeah, totally. You can check me out at yourbadasstherapypractice.com. I have an eight-week flagship program, sort of like coaching, mentorship course, all wrapped up into one. Um, I'll be launching that one more time at, as a live program uh, coming up in March. I don't know when this is going to be aired, but um, after that, it'll it'll still be available, but it will no longer be live. And I'll be transitioning more to doing retreats, speaking at conferences, um, putting out new programs. But yeah, so check me out at yourbadasstherapypractice.com. I do send out regular funny emails that are worth reading because I won't send anything out unless I feel like it's valuable. So um, that would be the best way to connect with me. But I'm also on Facebook dicking around there too. So you're welcome to find me facebook.com slash your badass therapy practice. And thanks for having me, Patrick. This is really great. Wonderful conversation. And I love all the mic drop moments. I hope people can appreciate all the times where there was like a weird pause. It's like, yeah, that was us being like, oh shit, that was good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm usually like, oh man, I'm going to speak directly to that. And then every time you said something, I was like, huh, I've got to think about that for a second. Um, we will put all of Laura's information in the show notes. If you want to find more of me, you can go to allthingspractice.com and you can join my Facebook group, All Things Private Practice and download, listen, subscribe and share the podcast. See you next week. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.